Welcome to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Whatever road you took to get here doesn't matter. What matters is you're here. My hope is that we all can help one another in this journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. In this episode, I plan on talking about my previous drug addictions. I know I've alluded to them several times in my past episodes. And most of what I want this podcast to be is about the recovery, the positive aspects, what we gain from it, the life after our addiction or our gambling or whatever our compulsive behavior is. I just feel like it's important to speak about our backstories a bit so we can not only relate to one another, but also so we can see that no matter what we've done, we can we can work back from these things. You know, from my story, I'm sure it's similar to many others. Uh, when we are in our addiction, we don't think there's any way we're going to get out of it. Um, so anyways, you know, I, I, I'm going to talk about my addiction starting from basically the age of 13 up until 25. Now, this is not to glorify anything, what happened during these years off and on, you know, I'm not proud of them, but you know, it's part of my story and I've accepted what I've done and I know it doesn't make me any less of a person. It's honestly guided me onto the path I'm in now, which I'm very grateful to be in. So like I said, I'm not glorifying anything. This is just to give the full story of who I was, who I am, and just showing that it can be done. Recovery is possible. You know, I've only been bet free for tomorrow will be seven months, but I've been clean from all drugs since 2009. So uh, getting into it, my parents split up when I was about 12 years old. Um, up until then, I was just a normal kid, playing soccer, hanging out with friends, going on Boy Scout trips, just a normal kid growing up in a normal town with uh, a few of my best friends, just hanging out, pretending like we were in jackass. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of us who grew up in the 90s and were born in the 80s thought we were going to be uh, the next jackass. But, uh, Anyway, so like I said, my parents split up when I was 12. We moved into my stepfather's house back then. And I remember, you know, it was very difficult at first. You know, you spend your first 12 years with your mother and your father. And then all of a sudden, your father's nowhere to be seen. Your mother is with a different man. You don't understand what's going on. It's just difficult. You know, now... I have a wonderful relationship with my mother and my stepfather. And, uh, you know, obviously you don't see it at the time, but it was the right thing for both my parents. And I have a great relationship with them now, but at that age, it was very difficult to deal with on top of a lot of other factors. So I remember on my 13th birthday, was the first time I ever drank alcohol. 
my parents or my stepfather or my mother had a box of wine in the refrigerator. And I just remember my friends and I were hanging out in the basement and we were just going up and down, filling up little cups, drinking this wine. I think that was the first time I smoked weed also it was on my 13th birthday. Not 100% positive, but I think they both ended up being the same night. And of course, it felt great. At 13, you're, not only are you going through all these changes at 13, going through puberty, and you're trying to figure out who the heck you are, but now my life's been turned upside down. And this is something that helped me forget or feel better about my situation. Um, so... You know, age 13, 14, I still played sports. I was still in Boy Scouts. It wasn't uh, an every week kind of thing. But I would occasionally, you know, steal some wine from my parents or get a little bit of weed from school. And that's what I did, you know, the ages of 13 and 14. Um, I was around 15 when I started dabbling into harder drugs. That's when I quit my sports. Uh, I quit playing in the school band. I quit Boy Scouts. Um, and I really dove into music head first. You know, I started playing, I started playing drums when I was like eight years old, but I started playing bass when I was 13 or 12. I can't remember exactly, but some friends and I were in a band. We had two drummers. Um, it was myself and another friend of ours. And we were just going back and forth. And, you know, eventually I was like, one of us needs to play bass. He didn't want to. So I said, screw it. I'll play bass. I asked for a bass for my 13th birthday, which I'm to this day so grateful that that happened because I play my music all the time. It brings a lot of joy to my life. And it's been a big identity, you know, big part of my identity. But anyway, so I was playing music a lot at that time. I got better and better. I would practice more and more. So at the age of 15, I just decided to quit sports, quit everything else. And probably because, you know, I was smoking a lot more weed. I just wanted to play music. That's what made me feel better. It helped me escape, you know, the situation, I guess. Um, so I just remember smoking weed all the time. You know, my parents would give me $5 a day for a school lunch. And more often than not, either I would buy a nickel bag or my friends and I would go together and we'd buy some weed or whatever. Smoke that at lunch. I'm sure this is an all too common story that I'm sure many of you have done. Um, but as time progressed, you know, I wanted to try different things. Other friends of mine were doing different things. Um, I can't remember if it was 16 or 17. It was, def it was definitely either 16 or 17, um, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Um, definitely 11th grade, I remember. I got into um, my band at that point, and we were a great band. I still miss that band to this day. Um, I used to have a lot of 
regret about that band, but now I feel very grateful that I was even able to play in those five, six months that we played. We got to play a lot of great shows with a lot of great bands. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. But towards the end of that, you know, my bandmates and I, uh, aside from the singer, we really started to smoke a lot of marijuana and a lot of weed. We started taking a lot of mushrooms, a lot of ecstasy, uh, just going crazy. And then I just remember that summer, that's when it got nuts, taking ecstasy all the time. Um, and then just through my, after that band breakup, going through my um, junior year into my senior year, it was just nonstop drug use. Nothing like Coke or heroin yet. Uh, that didn't start until after high school. So just going through high school, doing all that, I might have done a little Coke. I definitely was dabbling into the uh, Oxycontins and stuff like that. But after I graduated, my myself and two of my friends went to live in Queens. And two of us were going to the same college up there. And another one was going to school in Manhattan. Now, my two friends, their parents were paying for their rent. We had to pay 1500 bucks a month for an apartment in Queens. Uh, now, mind you, this is back in 2002. It's probably double that now. But um, so I had to pay the 500 bucks a month myself. So on the weekends, my friends would go home. Um, you know, we'd smoke weed during the week, but, uh, over the weekend, I found a job in Brooklyn, um, working at a sports bar. So I started working there. And of course, Brooklyn, the city, there's like multiple Coke dealers there. So that's the first time I really started using a lot of Coke. Um, and it just became one big party. I think I lasted one semester. All three of us basically lasted a semester. Um, and we all moved back home. So just a lot of partying, a lot of craziness back then. Uh, I wasn't like fully addicted to one substance at the time, but I think I was just self-medicating. You know, at the time you think you're just having fun, but it really was impacting my life. You know, I went to go to college for computer technology at the time and flunked out in one semester because I was drinking too much. I was smoking too much. I was doing way too much Coke and didn't work out, came home, um, went back to living with my parents. So I regrouped, I guess <laughs> I, uh, went to, I actually got a personal training, uh, certificate to become a personal trainer. But in the meantime, I, started dabbling with pain medications, taking that. And the people I was getting that from, the people I was hanging out with, they were also using heroin. And that was much cheaper and much easier to get. Now, of course, everyone's scared to try that. So the people I was hanging out with, they were shooting it. I couldn't even imagine doing that at that time. Uh, eventually I started by snorting it a little bit here and there. And I mean, it's a horrible drug, but yeah, I mean, it, 
I mean, heroin's heroin. It felt great. So of course I kept trying it. It made me feel better than I had ever felt before. You know, I had a fairly difficult childhood. I mean, I had wonderful friends and I had fun and uh, loved my parents and everything, but it was just 13 to 18 was just a, definitely a rough go of it. You know, some of it self-inflicted and some of it just growing up. Um, so I was just snorting a little bit here and there. Um, I got my personal training certificate, but it was literally at the time I started going down that path. So I ended up getting a job, personal training, but of course screwed that up immediately. Um, so once again, another negative impact on my life. Um, after a little while, you know, the snorting became, you almost became used to it. Then you started feeling a little, the first time I started feeling sick from not having it. Um, and then I remember the, the person I was hanging out with that day, like I wanted to try the injecting. They were almost pushing, uh, I don't know if they were pushing, but I mean, they were just saying that it's, you know, more cost effect, whatever you want to say, it just works better. So I couldn't do it. I was scared of needles at the time. I couldn't even look still to this day. I can't believe I was able to do that. Um, because getting blood taken, I can't even look, but you know, I, the first time they did it for me and I just remember not seeing it happening, but obviously once they pushed down, I could feel that rush. And for the next year and a half, I just chased that working at restaurants and delis and, you know, basically dead end jobs, just enough to fulfill my addiction. So thankfully two of my best friends realized something was going on and they went and told my parents, uh, my mother at the time, which I'm very grateful to this day for. I was never angry at them. They're two of my best friends in the world. And um, at that point, you know, I was able to admit what I had done. Um, gone through the detox, gone through, you know, the withdrawals, and I got myself clean. Got back into music, started getting my life back together. That was around... 20 years old. So at that point, got myself all straight edge, got a straight edge tattoo, got super into my health and fitness and working out and playing music. Uh, and then I decided what I wanted to do with my life was I wanted to become a teacher. So I applied to one of the SUNY schools in upstate New York, got in and ended up going in 2005. You know, in between that, though, even though I wasn't using hard narcotics anymore, I started taking steroids. So like I t said in the past, you know, you can have addictions to these bad things, right? Heroin, cocaine, whatever, you know, but like I said, I, I would have my exercise would be so impulsive or compulsive. I'd see myself in the mirror. I wasn't growing fast enough. And of course, I knew people who could get steroids. So I started taking steroids and that I did compulsively, you know, like 
you're supposed to cycle on and off when you take these things. I mean, you shouldn't take them in the first place, but you know, God knows where we were getting them from. And you're supposed to do like a three month cycle of like testosterone. I forget the different ones. I think it was like Deca or Winstrol or whatever they were. Um, but I remember like taking it for like seven months straight. I mean, that's the total wrong way to do that if you're going to do that. But I'm an addict, you know, recovering addict, thank God. Um, so at the time I was doing everything compulsively. But anyways, so I went away to Cortland, um, upstate New York. Um, and for the first few weeks, I was good. I was all cool. My, my straight edge persona, I went to go live in a dorm. I was the, basically the oldest one. I was 21 at the time. And I went into a dorm, I believe with a lot of second year students. So everyone was like 19, 18. And of course I'm like the only one who doesn't drink. And I was fine for the first few weeks, but I almost felt like the odd man out. Like, you know, I, I had my, I had some friends that I had made there, my roommates, but everyone just went out to drink. Everyone went out to party. So eventually, you know, at this point I had had a year and two or three months. I mean, it was like same thing. It was July of that year. I think it was 2004 when I had stopped at that point. Yeah. Um, and this was September of 2005. So yeah, like 14 months I had clean. Um, so I just told myself, you know, I didn't want to feel left out. I wanted to have fun with my friends. And like I said before, alcohol was never my problem. So I said, what's the big deal if I have a few drinks? Well, <laughs> if you're an addict, you have any compulsive behaviors, like any addictive substance is not good for you. At least that's been my experience. So it was slow for me. You know, I drank basically all year. Fine. We just kind of hang out, drink, smoke a little weed with friends. And I thought I was good. Alcohol was never my problem. I could just do it on the weekends. I did great in school that year. I had like a three, five, three, six, whatever it was, I was doing well. I think at the end of that year, I dabbled a little bit in, you know, Coke here and there. It's a big school for that. Um, then came home, spent the summer at home, um, ended up meeting a girl I was with for, oh God, I don't know, a little over two years. Um, but anyway, so going through the next year or so, it was just, just drinking here and there, nothing crazy. But my last year in 2000, the 2007 and eight uh, school year, things just weren't going well in my relationship with my schooling. I started drinking more. I was hanging out with a lot of uh, guys in the frats, you know, which were all good guys, but everybody was just, we're college students. Everybody's drinking, everybody's doing drugs. And, you know, because things weren't going well, I fell into a depression, started drinking more and started using cocaine a hell of a lot more. 
Um, I started using it on a daily basis, taking cash advances out of a credit card, um, especially the last, say, four or five months coming back from um, the uh, fall semester, going into the spring semester. So that January, February, March into April, I just went hardcore every day. And it got to a point where I was so fed up of not sleeping that, you know, my addict mind was like, I got to find some opiates to stop using Coke. Does that make any sense? But this is like in addiction, these are the kind of things you think. You think that one thing is going to fix the next. Um, so the, the dealer I was seeing, he told me he was going to, get me some heroin so I could, you know, give me a couple bags. I could stop using the Coke. This was my great idea at the time. Um, so I gave him enough money to get what I needed. Uh, and when he came back, of course he said, Oh yeah, sorry, I couldn't get it, but I got you this big gigantic piece of Coke. Now in the meantime, I had bought some rigs cause I was, I don't know why I thought it would be a smart idea to go right back to shooting it. I should, but so I bought some of those and I had never even heard about injecting Coke. <laughs> I don't even know why. Like, I think I just had it in my mind that this is what I was going to do with the with the dope. So he gave it to me. I remember going down to my car saying, eh, screw it. I'll give it a shot. Just mixed it up like I would uh would have when I when I used heroin. Went and shot it, and the second I pressed it down, I I thought I was I thought I was dead. Uh, all of a sudden I could feel it like started from my feet and came up. It felt like my heart was going to explode. Um, my vision got blurry. I tried to get out of my car, went into like a full seizure. I, I thought I was gone at that point. I was so scared. I tried to go up to my dealer's house, told him what happened. And of course, like the kind people they are, he kicked me out. Um, not everyone is like that, but this is what this guy was like. Um, so, yeah, so you'd think that would uh, scare you enough. You would never do that again, right? Well, no. When you're an addict and you're deep in an addiction, you just say, ah, I'll do a little less next time. I almost died, but I'll just do a little less next time. So for the next month, I basically injected cocaine for an entire month. I think it was a month, maybe a month and a half. I can't remember, you know, so like at this time I was really into bodybuilding, weightlifting. I was huge, you know, of course, like using Coke wasn't helping, but you know, I didn't lose a ton of weight, but once I went into the injecting part, I dropped a ton of weight. I remember coming home for spring bake that year. And my family was like, what, what happened? And I was like, yeah, I just stopped working out. You know, at this point when I got home, it was like two days I hadn't slept. I remember everyone went to sleep and I kept going. And I remember waking up that morning thinking I was seeing people in the backyard. It's the only time I've ever experienced anything like, I think it's called cocaine psychosis or whatever it is. It's crazy. Um, so... I kept going like that. And eventually, since I was back home, I was getting sick of this 
situation, the constant not sleeping and this like injecting of Coke. So I went back on, on opiates to stop using the Coke. Like I said, addict, you know, rationale makes no sense. So for the next, I think I was 23 at this time. So 23 and 24, I got heavy, heavy into a heroin addiction. You know, there's a lot of stories I could go into, but you know, this is enough of a war stories. Like I said, I don't want this podcast to be, you know, war story after war story. I want there to be a positive aspect to this. I don't, I'm not telling you these things to, to say, look at how bad of an addict I was, or look at how crazy I was. No, this is all stuff I'm not proud of. And I was never, ever comfortable talking about this. It took me a long time to even tell my wife a lot of this stuff. It took years for me to tell her a lot of this stuff. Uh, a lot of my friends, some of my family don't even know about some of this stuff, but, uh, I'm comfortable talking about this stuff today because I'm comfortable with who I am today in recovery. You know, because I did these things, it doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make me just an addict. Uh, you know, I'm Steve. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a good man. I'm a musician. There's a million good aspects about me. I just had addiction issues with narcotics when I was younger and ended up having issues with gambling because I never addressed the underlying causes of why I was using in the first place, which is why I believe recovery is so important. You know, it's of course, abstinence, we have to just stop what we're doing to, to get to a place where we can work on ourselves. But if you, like I did with my, my, uh, narcotics addictions, I never fully worked on myself, which is why I would still feel the, the shame and the guilt and why I wasn't able to fully talk about these things and why I ended up gambling later on in my life. So anyway, so I got clean in, um, July of 2009, which, like I said, went to narcotics anonymous for about a year, but I didn't take it seriously. Uh, I didn't see my, I didn't see it as a lifelong thing of, you know, or like you're always going to have to be vigilant or whatever, just, just being cognizant of that fact and, and really working on yourself by going through therapy, all these things. Um, I had met my wife, Kelly, who came on here and told her story in, uh, 2010 after nine months of being clean. And yeah, so I went, I mean, she knew that I was in recovery for addiction. So like I said, she never made me feel judged. She never made me feel like I was less of a person. It was all me that felt like that. Um, so, you know, I have never touched a drug since then, since July 15th, I believe was the last day I used, um, I did on our honeymoon have one drink in 2012. So kind of bounced back and forth. Like if I should change that to my clean date, um, we got married, um, September 2nd, 2012. And it had to have been like September 6th or 7th where I had like a drink or two on our honeymoon. But, uh, aside from that, I've never had a drink. I've never taken a drug. I've been clean since then. So, you know, I tell you all these things because 
it can be done. I know it is so hard to believe that you can get clean, you can get sober, you can be bet free, especially early on. But it is possible. You know, it's something like 90 or 95% of heroin addicts don't make it out. They either overdose or they stay perpetually addicted. I have been one of the fortunate 5 to 10% to make it past that. Um, a lot of recovering compulsive gamblers, it's the same thing. And I don't take this for granted. I don't take this for granted that this is where I am today. I know I'm in a small percentage of people that make it to where I make it. And that the only reason I'm here where I am right now is because I take recovery seriously. Uh, like I've talked about, I have several recovery methods and it's a big reason why I'm doing this podcast. I think it's important to uh, stay connected and to hold yourself accountable and talk about these things. So, you know, I'll talk about, you know, my addictions, I guess, further in the future, but I don't want to focus on the negative. I don't want to focus on the war stories. I only told you these stories just so you could hear some of the depths I went to, and you can see that it is possible to get past this. So, you know, I really appreciate you guys listening, guys and gals, and um, I will definitely talk with you soon. If you feel like you need help, reach out. Here are some numbers. Here's where to get help. You can call or text 1-800-522-4700. That's the National Council on Problem Gambling. Or you could call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. This is where I found um, the link to my therapist through my local counselor. And then also, we cannot forget our affected others. My wife goes to Gammonon every week, and it's been a huge help to her. So anyone in your life who you feel like needs help or you've affected through your gambling, you can go to gammonon.org, G-A-M-A-N-O-N.org. The number is 718-352-1671.